0: He must be behind us on time because it was midnight, and he's never chatting with me on text at midnight, but he was Johnny on the spot. He texted me at 4 o'clock. I replied and answered. I didn't get a reply back till midnight. I don't, I don't know if his texting skills are not so good, or he had a lot of things to say and was like, you know what, I better not just say that. Or he was busy. I don't know, vacation, it happens. But we were texting at midnight, and I said, I really don't want to touch Old Testament stuff um, because Luke spends such a good amount of time and really gets detailed with it. And uh, but I'm there anyway. So, if you got a Bible, say Amen. Amen. Thank you, four of you. We're gonna go to Joshua. Yes, we're gonna go to Joshua three, and it's important. I'm gonna read the first five verses just because it um, it matters where I want to start. It says, "Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan." where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Lord, I pray this morning that uh, as we dive through these words, that the words that I say, whether it be 10 minutes or an hour and 10 minutes, are yours and not mine. In your name I pray, amen. Some of y'all panicking that it's going to be an hour and 10 minutes. It's really not an hour and 10 minutes. I was kidding. Understand. I'm shooting more for the twelve minutes. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there is a major point that I found while reading through this and understanding um, kind of the weirdness that we are in today. So, let's let's set the scene because you know I, I like context. I like context understanding of where we are at, what's happening around it. So, um, we started in Joshua. We obviously know now Moses is dead. Joshua's taken over. Uh, God has brought us people out of Egypt, and now we're traveling. Um, I tell you this every time because it's still true I'm a very visual reader as I read something i I can't grasp the whole thing until I get a mental picture in my head of what's happening so you know all of my life I hear about you know the exile out of Egypt and I, and I you know the kids book pictures, you see people, you see people, but you don't really grasp. How many people until you really start studying what's happening? And I was studying a week and a half ago because he gave me ample time that he was going to be out of town. I just don't prepare soon because that's how I roll. <clears throat> but I was watching this and, and I'm thinking a couple of thousand people, you know, haven't really spent much time you know, passing through it. I like I like passages that we read a lot. Uh, I skip over things a lot if I think that I've read it before. I've told you all that. That's some of my favorite stuff to preach is stuff that I think that I already knew the picture of. Yet I go back and find these grand golden nuggets. The difference is, in my mind, is there was a handful of people, yes, coming out of Egypt. At the end of the day, there was, depending on who you read after and, and all of that, anywhere from two and a half, 2.6 million to 3 million people. So, from, from, from let's just use 3 million people for a minute just to grasp what it looks like to move 3 million people, right? I, I don't know. Y'all are all probably major scholars and we're like, stupid. We already knew that. And maybe you can see a picture of that. But if not, for me this morning, think about 3 million people, right? And so, so I, I'm still thinking of what's happening as these people are traveling for all of those days, 40 of them, moving through hand it out. And what, what does it take? So I was doing some studying and I got some notes right here in my phone. So for 40 years, they're moving down through. And, and at some point, a long time ago, somebody decided to do a study on what it would take to feed the provisions of 3 million people for 40 years in the wilderness. Makes sense, right? We read this passage and the exile, and they're headed to the promised land, you know, and we understand manna from heaven, we, you know, we, we hear all that, we get all that, but if you ever stopped to think about what it would have required, so if I've got three million people headed to the promised land, and that, that's who this story is talking to, that's, that's where we, that's where we land right here, uh, three million people for 40 years, that would take tons of food, you would think, a day, 1,500 tons of food a day, right, Again, I'm a picture guy. I'm I'm seeing 3 million people move, and and this is all of the context up until the actual point of this story. So 3 million people takes 1,500 tons of food, and that's two freight trains a day. A day. Y'all might not be as blown away as me, but let's go back to the point of God is taking his people out of Egypt. I am taking them out of Egypt, and I am going to provide for them 1,500 tons a day. Seems like a lot. If you were to put that into today's monetary understanding at a dollar per meal a person, like even the free lunch at school costs somebody more than a dollar a meal per day, right? But let's just call it a dollar a meal per day. That's nine million bucks every day that it would take to, to, to have three million people walking and wandering through the wilderness. Y'all are getting the point, aren't you? Crazy. And it's just, again, one of those stories that you hear about all the time. You hear about the crossing of the Jordan, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. It's just something that you've always heard. Um, If we were in the wilderness, God didn't need it, but if we were in the wilderness and we wanted to cook our food, some of them boiled some of that manna, so, I mean, there there was firewood to be had. To cook enough food for 3 million people for 40 years, you would need 4,000 tons of firewood. Mr. Bowen, how much firewood is that? You said to me, I cut a lot of firewood. I got this long bed truck because I cut a lot of firewood. That's a lot of firewood. Every day, 4,000 tons of firewood a day would be needed to make enough fires for all of this. That's our God, right? That's where I'm going with the beginning of this, trying to understand what it takes to move 3 million people because that's the feat. That's That's the beginning of this story when I'm trying to paint this picture in front of me. Let's take about water. 11 million gallons per day. That's a train car two miles long every day. So those are the pictures that I put in my mind when I'm trying to understand this beginning of this exile and they get to the bank. Thank you, sir. So again, still painting this picture of three million people now helps me see clearer as we get so here they come they get to the jordan they know that they're hearing instructions that we're just headed to the promised land and they get here and they stop they they really don't know uh, we're, we're talking three million people men women children all your belongings um do you all got a lot of belongings could you imagine packing you don't have a lot of belongings you have more procreation specialists says we have no belongings you've got a lot of belongings could you imagine packing all of them up putting them into i I don't know horse-drawn carriage or on trevor's shoulders and moving through the wilderness for 40 years that's what's here that's what stopped at the bank that that's where we got three million people men women children their children, 40 years worth of new children, people that like, that's, that's what we've got going on. So imagine that in your head, and all of their stuff, and they're being told we're about to cross the Jordan. If any of you guys have been to the Jordan lately, it's only about 100 yards wide now. Um, since this time, there's been lots of things that have added to the draining of it into different places, but at the time, it would have probably only been about 300 yards wide, but as we read on here in a minute, you're going to realize that in this time, it was in flood stages. Every year, the Jordan would be in flood stages. So you have to imagine the picture that God's people are at as they're going down for 40 years and they get to what is supposed to be the promised land. They've done sent uh, some spies across the way to figure out what it looks like. And here they go. They've got a, now it's a mile wide. We could argue all day with some of the scholars that are a lot smarter than i'm just going to put myself in that category i could argue all day with scholars that are smarter than me but that's not the point the point is that it it should have been up to a mile wide about that point where they were camping and and that's what they're looking at if it was three quarters of a mile so be it if y'all can tell the difference when you're looking out at three quarters to one mile whatever it is forever long okay so that is the stage that's the scene that i see in my mind as three million people stop the problem is is what happens when the Kanawha or the Elk Rivers in flood stages. All the stuff that is not normally underground or not normally underwater is now underwater, correct? So that first whole lot of it is mud, muck, briars. These are all the things that are going through the people's mind. And I promise you, by like one thirty, there will be a point to this whole entire thing. Some of y'all got that. See, I, I appreciate that. It won't be one thirty. I didn't have breakfast, and I'm... This Soulcon challenge is not cool for you. You don't eat breakfast. It's not nice. But so that's what these people are facing. They see this mile wide river. It's not just the fact that I've got to get my wife, my kids, my dog, all my stuff all across the river. I have a one mile wide river that is not normally a mile wide. So I've got trees, briars, bushes, whatever, all before I can even get to the swimming part of the river. That's what they're seeing. So I've painted that picture. Why I get to that is we've got to understand the supply and the provision from God. God wasn't worried about that. You know as well as I do, God provided manna from heaven that sustained all of their needs. Right? Amen? So through all that time, they didn't have any for tomorrow, except for on the day before the Sabbath they got a little extra. But they didn't have enough for tomorrow. They gathered what they needed. They took care of it. And tomorrow God provided again, right? As long as we are understanding that. Uh, Deuteronomy 8 talks about that their, their, their garments never wore out. their sandals never wore out. Um, how many of y'all bought kids' shoes recently? Okay, y'all should not try it. Thank you for the two in the back. Um, and y'all too, Uh, but kids shoes are crazy, like Matthew can get a new set of shoes that cost 50 or 60 bucks, because they say Nike on the side, and give it three days, those bad boys don't look brand new anymore, and I never thought I'd be that dad, we'd be like, no, don't, we're going outside, bro, but don't wear those shoes, like, those hurt my pockets, and they look nice, but you're, like, Tucker likes to, Tucker likes to walk and go (laughs) down the asphalt while we're walking, I'm like, (laughs) don't do that. <laughs> but he, does, he doesn't get it. He didn't spend the $60 on cool-looking orange Nikes. Dad's the stupid one. Anyway, uh, where was I at? Deuteronomy says that their garments didn't wear out, that their shoes didn't wear out. I guarantee you these boots right here will wear out before 40 years is over. Not just because I'm heavy, but because they just ain't made to go 40 years. That's not nice. You're supposed to be my wife. <laughs> so, he <laughs> Here is the point. And, and uh, listen, some of y'all might have had your favorite jeans that you've still had for 40 years. Y'all are like, yes, I do. But you ain't warm for 40 years. I guarantee you that. Amen? They wear out. We don't, there's nothing made to last 40 years anymore. But these people located through the wilderness, that's good. So here's my point. These people are walking into the unknown. Would you agree with that? They get to the bank. There's three million of them, and they know that we're supposed to go over there because over there is the promised land that we're supposed to be getting to because really if you read through that whole entire story, they're kind of tired of eating the manna. They, they, they like the provision. They understand it, But at least back in Egypt, they got good stuff. So they're kind of frustrated, and it's unknown, right? So here I'm going to start to make my point. That's where I think we are today. I don't see normalcy. I've probably never seen normalcy. I see the look in your face, honey. I walked right into that one. I don't know normalcy, but I think as a society, we cannot sit here and say that we are living in normal times. Can you? Can you say that we have no idea what the next six months looks like? We have no idea what the new normal looks like, Right? We don't know if that's half this digital, half y'all people. We shift, we sit on the front yard. Who, who knows, right? So, so I'm thinking unknown. So my point, if I don't make it this morning, I need y'all to help me with the picture of paralleling these 3 million people sitting on the banks of the Jordan that looks impossible, that's headed to the promised land to what we are experiencing right now. So if I don't make a point, at least that's some of it. So let's talk about the, the the symbolism of the Ark, if we get, this is terrible, I'm not 40 until September, but I can't see my Bible, and I can't come to buying a big print one, I just can't do it. Um, so let's talk about the symbolism of the Ark. If you don't understand the Ark of the Covenant, um, or haven't really studied much, I implore you to, you can listen to me talk about it, but man, if you just... St- I don't care if you start at Google and understand what the Ark of the Covenant, because we're talking Old Testament times here. We're talking pre-Jesus times. We have a whole different understanding of what's happening, but there is all kinds of good correlation. So let's talk verse 3 and 4. 3 and 4 says, I can't find it. Giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. That's epic. That's epic. You have never been this way before is something to stop and think about for a minute. So, so how do I continue taking this Old Testament passage and make it wonderful again? We have to understand what the Ark of the Covenant meant to those people in that day is just like the Holy Spirit to us today. Amen? Like, so the Ark of the Covenant was where the Lord was to them. That was their—that was the representation, the physicality of, I can't even get near it. Like, there was a veil in the beginning that covered it. They couldn't go in and touch it. They were just not allowed. That was the, the fullness or the wholeness of God or the, the representation of the glory of God in, in a box. There was a lot of other things that we could talk about that was also in the box as well, but... It fell out of his mouth. Epic. (laughs) That was my cookie. I my ADD is bad enough when a child falls and something falls out of his mouth. I, I lost my train of thought. But the Ark of the Covenant had all kinds of memorabilia for them, and all that meant something. Because let's go back to the point of they don't have Jesus yet. All they have are things and their conversations with God. So, so, so he says in 3, he says, Given the orders, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Does anybody carry a King James here this morning? Will you read three for me out loud if you are not shy? And there are often times, and, and, I, and I'm not an anti-anything kind of a guy, and I love reading from that passage because I actually like what it says there at the end of three um, More better. Yes. So I don't know about you, but when somebody yells, go after it, get after it versus versus go follow it, go follow it feels to me like I'm just going to go. There it went. So there we go. I love the feeling of that King James understanding that says go after it. I, in my mind, and, and, and again, this could be me, but when somebody says go after it, that doesn't seem like just with a whim I, and and I don't know, but I I get excited over listening to uh, that King James Version using those words. And maybe it's just because somebody said in my life, get after it, whatever. But it seems like there is much more of a charge. As Joshua says, when you see this go by and it gets out so far, get after it. I think that's a good moving charge to follow. So let's understand that the the Ark of the Covenant is the spirit of the Lord that, that lives within us now right? So continue to help me stay moderately on focus because I'm, I'm not, not good with that. Um, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. I think that is phenomenal. So if I'm still Figuring this out today as Joshua is telling these people that stand by for a minute. We're going to go to this place that you see is impossible. You need to wait for the Ark of the Covenant to come by you, the Spirit of the Lord to come by you, and then you go after it. That's in that freedom. That That's in that understanding that there should be nothing happening in today's time when you are trying to figure out how to move forward in this massive unknown there should be nothing happening in your life that you are despairing over or or thinking about or trying to make changes that you don't wait for that ark of the covenant in your life that spirit to be there and there to be freedom and peace in that correct amen from the one of you amen thank you both of you so in four it says then you will know which way to go since why Thank you. You've never, that's a teacher for you right there. I don't even see a Bible in her hand, but she's like, I already heard you say it four times. Oh, there we go. My bad. But he says, wait for it to go by because you need it to go by because you've never been that way before. So if the Spirit leads you that way and you are following after it, you've got a right to be where it's at, Correct. You've got a right to be in the presence of God. You've got a right to walk there. And as you understand, to the end of this passage, they walked through on dry ground. It's crazy. But they followed. They followed. Um, read 4, it says, but keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark and do not go near it. Uh, I think that the, the Holy Spirit, so if, if I'm going to pull back for a minute, um, you can leave that up there. Was that 4? Was that Thank you. I, I totally forget that it's there. So he tells in the end of 4, he says, keep going on. He says, but stay about 2,000 cubits in length. And because that's not on our tape measures today, and Google Earth doesn't have cubits, that's about a half a mile. If y'all know what a half a mile looks like, great. That's about halfway into the river anyway. But he's telling them, let it go about a half a mile away from you, and then get after it. There's a couple ways of looking at that. We're, we're, we're taking 3 million people. We're taking three million people that all have to see this Ark of the Covenant or the Spirit of the Lord come by them because he's headed and he's taking them in a direction that they've never been into an unknown territory. But he says, you have to wait till he gets about a half mile in front of you. And I believe that's because the Spirit leads us, but he leads all of us. And I need him to be about a half a mile away so all three million people that are, that are camped up in their tents can still see where he's at. I think that the Spirit leads us in that. I believe that his presence, there's a tangible nature to the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? Uh, We've all been in places, we've all been in, we've all been in services, whether it be services or anywhere, that you've actually tangibly felt the Spirit of the Lord. Yes or no? Okay, I, I, I don't want to be alone in this one, um, but, you know, oftentimes, it's going to squeal. I promise no props today, and this isn't an actual prop. Um, but oftentimes, we like to get into a spirit of fear, or let's say we're stuck in a spirit of depression uh, in a lull in those valleys that we go through. And, and we, once we get there, even as a child of God, once we get there, boy, we love to just sit in it and wallow in that. I can't sit on this because I can't afford to buy another one. We love to sit down and wallow for a minute in that seat of fear, depression. Um, I'm, I'll use the term coronavirus right now, COVID, whatever. This epic nature of what's happening in our world that is totally flipping everything upside down right uh, there are and, th- and that's my point today if i don't really make it but there are there there are so many things being stuck and people sit down because they just don't know what to do. They sit down in that fear, and they love to be in that fear. They, they love to be in that depression. The problem is a blood-bought, born-again believer of Jesus Christ, when he enters himself into somewhere that the presence of God is, you can't stay. Seated in that seat of fear, or seated in that depression. If you understand how the Spirit works, and you are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, and you are a saved, born again Christian, and you understand that the indwellment of the Holy Spirit is in you, but the tangible nature happens at a lot of places that you get back up, and you. I don't. I don't care if it's the grocery store that is one of those places for you, but if you're stuck in one of those spirits of fear, or depression, or anything like that, and the Spirit moves. And you're there. You can't stay seated. Correct. I don't want to have invalid points to you because the nature of this is these. These are not my words. This is this is this is just my correlation of trying to take this passage of I don't know. Take these three million people. I don't know how many of those three million people are looking at that river going. It ain't happening. He's brought us out. I'm mad about it, um, and I'm, i i got to get over there. The spies say it looks like there's a bunch of crazy guys over there, whatever it may be. But there is a lot of grumbling happening in those tents. Do you believe so? If I'm sleeping in a tent, there's grumbling. You wake up with that nasty, wet feeling in the morning. Just, just in case. My wife will tell you those stories. I, I, I don't camp well. So if I was three days staring at this raging, out-of-its-banks rivers, it's not funny my thing my hair dryer can't plug in i can't be in a tent i would already be agitated i can't imagine after 40 years of trying to make life in the wilderness and here we get to what is supposed to be the promised land there's got to be somebody sitting down in a chair or in a seat of fear or aggravation or whatever it may be but as the spirit of the lord comes by you are to take that spirit and it will lift you up out of that seat amen I'm going to make a point as Sydney comes. Both of y'all, my bad. I'm going to make a point. So as we get through this and they look at that spirit of the unknown, as they look, as there are three million people headed to what seems like an impossible being, the spirit of the Lord comes by and starts to tell them how it's going to happen. If you want to read along with me, I'm going to start back at 5. Sydney's going to start playing a song she'll sing here in a minute. But I'm going to read the rest of this chapter because I want you to see how it ends. I want you to see how they won. Starting at 5 says, Joshua told people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. If you're reading another translation, it might say, Sanctify yourself. I, I, I would again implore you you can't get everything from somebody that speaks to you on a Sunday morning and and if you're like nah I don't know know that I fully understand what consecrate yourself or sanctify yourself is go home and study it because this is what we are to do before we get to that place of accepting the Holy Spirit to do those good things in our life we are to sanctify ourselves or consecrate ourselves for the Lord is going to do amazing things Joshua said to the priest take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. That's that spirit of the Lord going where we are going, but he goes in front of us and we're going to get after it. We're going to follow him. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up to a heap. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet, just their feet, touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap in the great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Arabath, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over, and this is the point. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel, passing to the whole nation, had completed crossing dry ground think of that a mile wide of mud thick briars you name it they walked all of their stuff on dry ground still i just want you to have those pictures because that's the god that we serve that's the god that we enter our battles with that's the god that we start these unknown times with and that's the god that we said at one point in life i surrender all to you so i'm willing to do what the lord says your promises your provisions it's weird, I know, because nobody understands what the next six months still looks like. So the song that she's going to sing, you might not have ever heard it. So I would like you to spend the next three or four minutes thinking about and having a, a one-on-one conversation with the Lord about your salvation experience. I don't care if you know the time, the day, the hour. It doesn't matter. You just know that it is, that it is, and that it's true. And you go back to the beginning of that and, and realize what you promised to God and what he promised to you. Okay, And I want you to think about that because one of two things is going to happen. You're going to like it. You're going to get back to that place and say, I surrender all, and I gave it up. So I'm ready to follow you to wherever. And then I want you to go to right now. Everybody has a little bit of apprehension or drama in dealing with what's happening in the future. And what the Lord is telling you is right for your life might not exactly be what's right for my life. The beauty is, is the Holy Spirit Let's, as he stands out there, he he can guide all of us. He can guide you in a different spot. We're all headed the same direction, but he can guide you into something different than he's guiding me. But I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to follow God. But I don't know that if I'm not ready to surrender to God to take me through that because I think that he can't, right? So I want you to do two things while she sings. I want you to hear the words. I want you to think about your salvation time and experience. And are you actually today ready and willing to say, Lord, I I don't know, and I'll surrender. I need the Spirit to come by all the time and continue filling me, and I'll go through these uncertain times. So you don't have to stand. You can keep your eyes closed. I just want you to get a minute of that.
1: you stepped into my Egypt and you took
0: says, you stepped into my Egypt and you took me by the hand. I, I love that song. I, I love the understanding and the aspect that there is there is that point in your life where he came to your Egypt. He came to your Old Testament understanding of your old way. He came to it and he picked you up and took you out and he's headed you into the promised land. Amen. We've all got into those sort of things. So if I'm going to wrap up my point this morning as I force you guys to... Set yourselves on the bank of the Jordan River in uncomfortable situations, looking forward into what is seems to be the unforeseen next six months, year, or the entire new normal. What is it? How do those people react? They had to be satisfied. Those people ultimately were satisfied. We have to be satisfied in what's happening in the world because if we are claiming to be a Christian, we have to be satisfied in what God said he's going to do. So those people should be thankful for the promise of God, the presence of God and the provision of God. Same thing that we should be super thankful for today, amen? The promise of God we all know because we said yes to it when we said I surrender all and I will take all of those promises that you are promising me if I surrender my life to you, amen? The presence of God we are looking for at all times because that's that thing that we still need today to lead us forward, right? And the provision of God. This is the one that hurts the most because they were used to a certain amount of things and then they got manna for 40 years. Let me turn sideways for you. Sometimes I don't want to be stuck eating manna all the time. Sometimes we we think what we need versus what we need. I know what I want, but God says, "I, I have all of your needs covered. And boy, that might not look like it is. Today's times, that might not look and understand What we like, the comfort zone of the church for the last 50 years, you can't lie, we've been pretty comfortable, we've not had any major obstacles, so that this morning is what we need to be, is if we're going to uh, bring ourselves into why does this Old Testament story match what we are doing, we have got to be satisfied in all of that. We've got to understand that we've got to wait for the Holy Spirit, and that we've got nothing to worry about. One little picture that i like to tell you about that is Tucker, Beautiful six year old that when he's not here, he is my absolute hell I love him to death, he's mine, but y'all are all like, he can't be mean, he's so cute. He is. At some point every night, he wakes up from his bed and he heads to my bed. It might be midnight, it might be four o'clock in the morning, doesn't matter. But it really is the most comical, yet the most purifying thing to see the look in his eyes when he hits the corner of our bed. And it's pitch black in our room, but I can see enough. I'm not asleep yet, and I can see him hit the corner, and he jumps up, and he looks at me, and he looks at Mandy, and he finds his spot right in between us, and I mean, he ain't worried if we're awake or not. He rips those sheets back and pulls them up, and she's a snuggler. I am not, so I'm going to say that I'm going to use the father figure for a minute as the parental figure so you can just get this, but Tucker every night sees the bed, and he's like, I have nothing to fear the moment I get in with mom and dad, and he turns over, Pulls the covers off of me and gets in there tight. But there's something about the peace that happens when he does that. Childlike faith in that doesn't matter what happens in the world, he is now protected. And that's just a visual that I like to see. So we know there is an apprehension over the next six months, but we also know that we don't have to live in fear because our father never slumbers, he never sleeps, he doesn't take a vacation, he doesn't take a break. So, deep down, I, you know, we had it hot here last week, and I, and I thought all week long, if it's going to be hot again, we're going to have one of those good old you know, tent revival times where you're sweating, it's preaching, the Holy Spirit is moving. And, and I don't know how that came out this morning, but we're going to end it with this song. And the song says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And again, I need you to sing. Hopefully you grew up in the church singing this song because it's older than Ray off there that time but this anthem says it's sweet to trust in Jesus and, and I pray that you're there this morning I live a pretty carefree life because I'm not responsible for that much so I don't care about that much and it's not always the goodest thing um, but there is the uncertainty of tomorrow that we just absolutely can't change amen we're either going to make it or we're not I don't know how that sounds but that's life right I don't hold tomorrow, you don't hold tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know what he promises me. And yes, you can worry about your own provisions and your things, but at the end of the day, God's going to take care of you, and you're either going to trust him or you're not. You're going to be stuck in worry and desperation at home all the time and not being able to go out or do or whatever, whatever is right for you. I hope you got that point earlier. Whatever is right for you that the Spirit of the Lord tells you, you're going to be stuck in that until you get to the point that you can sing this out loud and say, Lord, I trust you.